This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of fibrous dysplasia from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Fibrous dysplasia is a developmental abnormality caused by a GS-alpha protein mutation that leads to failure of the production of normal lamellar bone. The condition usually presents in patients who are less than 30 years of age with an asymptomatic lesion that is found incidentally on radiographs. Diagnosis is made with radiographs showing a lesion with ground glass appearance or a quote punched out lesion with a well-defined margin of sclerotic bone. Treatment is usually non-operative with bisphosphonates for pain control. Surgical management is indicated for lesions that lead to bone deformities such as scoliosis or coxivara. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as the male-to-female ratio, females are more affected than males. In terms of age bracket, fibrous dysplasia is found in any and all ages. However, the onset for 75% of patients is at less than 30 years of age. As far as the anatomic location for fibrous dysplasia, any bone can be involved. However, the proximal femur is the most common site, followed by the ribs, maxilla, and tibia. Moving on to the etiology, as far as the genetics of fibrous dysplasia, this condition is associated with a genus mutation. Specifically, a GS-alpha protein activating mutation that is on chromosome 20Q13, which affects the cyclic AMP signaling pathway that leads to increased production of cyclic AMP. There's also high production of FGF23, which may lead to hypophosphatemia. Associated orthopedic manifestations of fibrous dysplasia includes McCune-Albright syndrome, Mazabrod syndrome, and osteofibrous dysplasia. McCune-Albright syndrome is a condition defined by the presence of skin abnormalities such as cafe au lait spots in a coast of Maine pattern, endocrine abnormalities like precocious puberty, as well as renal phosphate wasting due to FGF23, otherwise known as oncogenic osteomalacia. McCune-Albright syndrome is also defined by unilateral polyostotic fibrous dysplasia, and in this setting, you will obtain an AP spine radiograph to look for scoliosis. Mazabrod syndrome consists of polyostotic fibrous dysplasia and soft tissue intramuscular myxomas. Finally, osteofibrous dysplasia is a rare form that primarily affects the tibia and is confined to the cortices. As far as non-orthopedic manifestations of fibrous dysplasia, these patients can have severe cranial deformities with blindness. Moving on to the presentation of fibrous dysplasia, as far as symptoms, patients are usually asymptomatic and fibrous dysplasia is discovered as an incidental finding. However, when there are symptoms, these patients may have swelling or deformity. Bone lesions may be monoostotic in 80% of cases or polyostotic in 20% of patients. These patients may also have pain from stress fractures. On physical exam, inspection may reveal cafe au lait spots, which are larger and have more irregular borders in a quote coast of main pattern than neurofibromatosis. Cafe au lait spots may or may not be present with fibrous dysplasia, but by definition are present with McCune-Albright syndrome. Inspection in fibrous dysplasia patients may also reveal swelling around the lesion and scoliosis. Moving on to imaging, radiographs should include a hip-slash-pelvis radiograph and an AP spine radiograph. Findings on hip-slash-pelvis radiographs include a central lytic lesion in the medullary canal, that is the diaphysis or metaphysis, these patients may have cortical thinning with an expansile lesion, highly lytic lesions or a ground glass appearance, keep in mind that a quote punched out lesion with a well-defined margin of sclerotic bone is common, there may be modest expansion of the bone, and you may also find what's known as a shepherd's crook deformity. AP spine radiographs may reveal a vertebral collapse and or kyphoscoliosis. 
a bone scan in these patients is usually warm. In terms of other studies, know that gross pathology of fibrous dysplasia will reveal a yellow-white gritty tissue. On histology, fibrous dysplasia will have a characteristic look of quote alphabet soup or quote Chinese letters. Histology will also have a fibroblast proliferation surrounding islands of woven bone. Keep in mind that woven bone lacks osteoblastic rimming, while osteofibrous dysplasia has osteoblastic rimming. Other histological features of fibrous dysplasia include trabeculae of osteoid and bone in a fibrous stroma with metaplastic cartilage or areas of cyst degeneration. Also keep in mind that mitotic figures are common in the histology of fibrous dysplasia. Moving on to treatment, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation, which is indicated in asymptomatic patients. Other non-operative modalities include bisphosphonate therapy, which is indicated for symptomatic polyostatic fibrous dysplasia, and this has been shown to be effective in decreasing pain and reducing bone turnover. Operative options include internal fixation and bone grafting. This is indicated for symptomatic lesions, impending-slash-actual fractures through lesions in areas of high stress, for example the femoral neck, severe deformity, and neurologic compromise in the spine. As far as technical considerations of internal fixation and bone grafting, remember to never use autogenous cancellous bone as the transplanted bone will quickly turn into fibrous dysplastic woven bone. Instead, use cortical or cancellous allografts. Finally, keep in mind that an intramedullary device is more effective than a plate in the lower extremity. Other operative options include osteotomies, which is indicated in the setting of coxavara deformity. So in this setting specifically, you will perform an intertrochanteric osteotomy. Now, let's go over the differential diagnosis of fibrous dysplasia. So the diagnoses to consider include eosinophilic granuloma, lymphoma, leukemia, enchondroma slash Oliers slash Mafuchi syndrome, osteochondroma slash multiple hereditary exastosis, non-ossifying fibroma slash Jaffe-Campanacci syndrome, hemangioendothelioma, Paget's disease, metastatic disease, and myeloma. So fibrous dysplasia will present with multiple lesions in a young patient, Treatment will be observation alone, and these patients will benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Eosinophilic granuloma will also present with multiple lesions in a young patient, and treatment will also be observation alone. However, these patients will not benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Lymphoma and leukemia can both present with multiple lesions in young patients. However, they are not treated with observation alone, and these patients do not receive benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Enchondroma slash Oliers slash Mafuchi syndrome, osteochondroma slash multiple hereditary exostosis, and non-ossifying fibroma slash Jaffe Campanacci syndrome can all present with multiple lesions in young patients, and the treatment will be observation alone. Hemangioendothelioma can also present with multiple lesions in a young patient. However, treatment will not be observation alone, and these patients do not benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Paget's disease does not present with multiple lesions in a young patient. However, treatment can be observation alone, and these patients do benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Finally, metastatic disease and myeloma can both benefit from bisphosphonate therapy. Finally, just a quick point about the prognosis of fibrous dysplasia. Know that 1% of cases have a risk of malignant transformation to osteosarcoma, fibrosarcoma, or malignant fibrous histiocytoma. These patients will have a poor prognosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 39-year-old female with a known history of polyostatic fibrous dysplasia presents to your office for evaluation of new-onset right leg pain. 
AP radiograph of the left tibia demonstrates an osteolytic lesion with a, quote, ground glass appearance. She denies any new trauma. Ultimately, a biopsy is performed and shows malignant transformation with anaplastic malignant tumor cells and neoplastic osteoid tissue. What is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Chondroblastoma, 2. Osteosarcoma, 3. Osteoblastoma, 4. Giant cell tumor of bone, and 5. Neurolamoma. The correct answer to this question is 2. Osteosarcoma. So malignant transformation of fibrous dysplasia may occur decades after the original diagnosis and is most commonly found to be osteosarcoma. To quickly review, fibrous dysplasia is a bone disease in which the normal lamellar bone is replaced by an abnormal fibroosseous connective tissue. The onset of disease is most common in patients less than 30 years old, with the majority of lesions becoming dormant as the patient ages. However, malignant transformation does occur and should be considered in patients with new onset pain and the absence of trauma. Patients with polyostatic disease such as those with McCune-Albright or Mazabrod syndrome are more likely to undergo malignant transformation. Osteosarcoma occurs most commonly, but fibrosarcoma and malignant fibrous histiocytoma have also been reported. Q et al. review malignant transformation in those patients with monoostatic fibrous dysplasia. They report on 10 patients, 7 of which were diagnosed with osteosarcoma, 2 with fibrosarcoma, and 1 with transformation to malignant fibrous histiocytoma. They conclude that an increase in pain or rapid change in radiographic appearance should alert the clinician to malignant change in patients with fibrous dysplasia. Murphy et al. reviewed the radiographic and clinical appearances of various types of osteosarcoma. Specifically, they report on the different types of primary intramedullary osteosarcoma, such as high-grade, telangiectatic, low-grade, small-cell, and osteosarcomatosis. They conclude that being able to recognize these lesions allows for improved patient assessment and is vital for appropriate clinical management. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, chondroblastoma is incorrect, as chondroblastomas are benign cartilage lesions found in the epiphysis of skeletally immature patients and are not related to fibrous dysplasia. Answer 3, osteoblastoma is incorrect, as osteoblastomas are aggressive benign tumors of bone and can have a similar radiographic appearance to osteosarcoma, but are not related to fibrous dysplasia. Answer 4, giant cell tumor of bone is incorrect, as giant cell tumors of bone are aggressive benign lesions commonly found in the metaphysis of long bones and are not related to fibrous dysplasia. Finally, answer 5, neurolamoma is incorrect, as neurolamomas are benign tumors composed of Schwann cells and are not related to fibrous dysplasia. Moving on to the next question. A six-year-old being evaluated in your clinic presents with cafe au lait spots, and a pelvic radiograph shows ground glass appearance seen within the femurs. What is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1, neurofibromatosis, 2, Holt-Oram syndrome, 3, McCune-Albright syndrome, 4. Fibular hemimelia, and 5. Ellis van Creevelt syndrome. The correct answer to this question is 3. McCune Albright syndrome. So, given the cafe au lait spots with the jagged borders and the fibrous dysplasia seen in the hips, the most likely diagnosis is McCune Albright syndrome. McCune Albright syndrome is a condition in which patients present with dermatologic abnormalities endocrine abnormalities, like precocious puberty frequently, and polyostatic fibrous dysplasia. Consistent with this condition are cafe au lait spots that have jagged borders akin to the, quote, coast of Maine. 
Vogel et al. reviewed the clinical manifestations of McCune-Albright syndrome. They note that multiple organ systems may be involved, including cardiovascular and hepatobiliary. The classic triad of McCune-Albright syndrome consists of endocrinopathies, polyostatic fibrous dysplasia, and cafe au lait spots. Parikh et al. reviewed the etiology, histopathology, and clinical presentation of fibrous dysplasia. Fibrous dysplasia is caused by mutations in the GS-alpha protein. Fibrous tissue distorts the normal architecture of metaphyseal bone to produce a, quote, ground glass appearance. Although surgical intervention can be used for symptomatic lesions, it has limited success in McCune-Albright syndrome. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, neurofibromatosis is incorrect, as neurofibromatosis has smooth, bordered cafe au lait spots, and it is not associated with fibrous dysplasia. Answer 2, Holt-Oram syndrome is incorrect, as Holt-Oram syndrome is associated with radial club hand and cardiac defects. Answer 4, fibular hemimalia is incorrect, as fibular hemimalia is not seen with this condition. Finally, answer 5, Ellis-Van-Krivald syndrome is incorrect, as Ellis-Van-Krivald syndrome is an autosomal recessive condition affecting the EVC gene. Mutations in the EVC gene give rise to post-axial polydactyly, short-limb dwarfism, congenital heart defects, and malformed carpal bones. And moving on to the final question. All the following are characteristic of McCune-Albright syndrome except, and the choices are 1, caused by a mutation in the GS-alpha subunit, 2, cafe au lait spots, 3, polyostatic fibrous dysplasia, 4, multiple neurofibromas, and 5, precocious puberty. The correct answer to this question is for multiple neurofibromas. So neurofibromas are seen in neurofibromatosis and are not associated with McCune-Albright syndrome. McCune-Albright syndrome is a condition characterized by 1. precocious puberty or endocrine abnormalities, 2. cafe au lait spots, and 3. polyostatic fibrous dysplasia. Fibrous dysplasia is caused by a mutation in the alpha subunit of stimulatory G-protein and leads to activation of CFOS and other proto-oncogenes. DiCaprio et al. review the pathophysiology, evaluation, and treatment of fibrous dysplasia. As mentioned, fibrous dysplasia is caused by an activating mutation of the GS-alpha gene. While most lesions are asymptomatic and found incidentally, symptomatic lesions are best initially managed with medical therapy like bisphosphonates. Patients who fail medical management may require surgical intervention with the use of cortical grafts to augment the structural properties of the involved bone. Parikh et al. review the molecular biology, presentation, and treatment of patients with fibrous dysplasia. As discussed, the GS-alpha mutation causes activation of multiple oncogenes, causing a neoplastic proliferation of fibrous tissue in the bone. The overall prognosis of patients with fibrous dysplasia, even symptomatic lesions, is excellent as medical management successfully treats most symptomatic lesions. As the risk of malignant transformation is low, even symptomatic lesions can be treated conservatively. That's all for this review about fibrous dysplasia. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.